Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. My friend Mary was the mother of five children, a boy, a girl, and then after a space, three boys, all in rapid succession. Her youngest sons were all gay, and they all contracted AIDS. It was 1987. Within months, all three were dead. From diagnosis to deathbed, Mary was the primary caregiver for each of them. By the third of those three memorial services, I was pretty sure that hers was next. She told the stories over and over, and the shattering endings were always the same. There was nothing I could do but listen, staggering a little under the weight of keeping vigil with her grief. And then a chance meeting changed everything. One day as Mary was leaving my study, the person waiting to see me was another surviving mom. I introduced them. It could have gone any number of ways or nowhere, but it went so well that I never got a word in edgewise. I stood watching amazed as within the first few minutes, Mary found her true calling. From that moment long and for as long as she lived, a long life of love and service. She was there to steady other parents and partners and friends as their lives threatened to spin into terrible darkness. I've been obsessed with the word resilience from the moment I learned the word. Apparently, there's a research principle called falling up, which refers to how some positive outliers manage to grow, not despite a trauma, but because of it. All of us have heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. But have you heard of post-traumatic growth? Trauma, a reversal of fortune, catastrophic illness or injury, natural disaster, war, untimely death, trauma is never good. I have nothing good to say about it. But given that 75% of us will experience trauma at some point in our lifetimes, it's deeply encouraging to know that it doesn't have to be the unhappy ending of the story or the event that bifurcates our life into before and after with everything good on the before side. It can be the catalyst for a far better outcome. To what now? In the 1980s, scientists Richard Tedeschi and Lawrence Calhoun began to study what it is that makes the difference between people for whom trauma is a dead end and trauma is a springboard. To their surprise, they found that the majority of trauma survivors' lives had changed for the better. 
that they had much greater inner strength than they ever thought possible and were closer to friends and some family members. They were reorienting their lives toward more fulfilling goals, and life had more meaning. In 1996, Tedeschi and Calhoun coined the term post-traumatic growth. They found three through lines to growth. First, these survivors believed that their choices, their behaviors still matter. Second, their lives are deeply rooted in social support. And third, they're able to change the way they tell the story of the trauma, focusing on the good that has come in its wake. In a TED Talk entitled, The Best Gift I Ever Survived, <laughs> Stacey Kramer describes her adventures with a brain tumor and cautions that despite the good news of post-traumatic growth, the path that begins at brokenness and leads to healing is rarely smooth or short. It demands acceptance of the past and a commitment to define and redefine what recovery looks like. And it's critical that we not burden each other or ourselves with the expectation of growth. That said, Dr. Karen Ravich, co-author of The Resilience Factor, says that resilience is founded on a set of skills that any of us can cultivate. There are six. One, choose optimism. Pessimists, she says, underestimate how much control they have. They tend to focus their mental energy on things that they can't do anything about. With some mindfulness, Dr. Rayevich says, we can direct our attention toward positive aspects of the situation and what we can control. It's a habit that can be developed. She encourages everyone to keep what she calls a hunk of good stuff journal. People who make a habit of gratitude have better sleep, better health, less stress, less depression, less depression, and better life satisfaction. Two, increase mental agility. Mental agility, it's the ability to see situations fully, accurately, and from multiple perspectives. Dr. Ravich points out two of the most common thinking traps, the me, me, me trap, the tendency to blame ourselves, and the them, them, them trap, meaning it's always someone else's fault. The trick to mental agility is to avoid these pitfalls. Three, cultivate self-awareness. Pay attention to thoughts, feelings, and inclinations. Self-knowledge is a multi-tool in the recovery toolkit. Four, don't catastrophize. Learn to self-regulate. Five, focus on strengths. The trick to resilience is building the muscles, including the spiritual muscles, that will carry us through our recovery. We can recruit people with complementary strengths to carry what's too heavy for us. And six, deepen connections. Recovery is not a solitary endeavor, and to rely on others is not a sign of weakness. The United States Army now teaches a 10-day Master Resilience Trainer course 
designed to help create a more psychologically fit army. It's shepherded by Brigadier General Rhonda Cornham, a physician, pilot, and competitive equestrian. Serving as a flight surgeon on a rescue mission in the first Gulf War, Dr. Cornham's Black Hawk helicopter was shot down. She woke up under the wreckage, pinned to the ground. Both her arms were broken, and she was held prisoner of war for eight days. In her book, She Went to War, Rhonda Cornham writes, I was badly injured, but I knew that I would heal eventually. The crash had been so devastating that I should have died then, and I regarded every minute I was alive as a gift. The Iraqis could have killed us so easily when they found us at the crash site, but they chose not to. And then in the circle of men, a slight pressure on a single trigger would have been enough to kill us. But we were spared. It was just good enough luck for me to grab onto and hold. I vowed to survive. When New York Times reporter Jim Rendon suggested to Dr. Cornham that most people would have been hard-pressed to find anything resembling luck in that situation, she laughed. It's the only way I would think. I've been practicing that my whole life. If you don't do that, why would you ever proceed with anything? So the traditional view of trauma that you e was that you either got PTSD or you were fine. Obviously, it's messier than that. Trauma survivors lose sleep, they have recurring flashbacks, and they experience fear or guilt. Most experience a spectrum of symptoms, not necessarily right away and sometimes years after the trauma. And they're molded by it in complex ways. But the majority do recover. There's an intricate dance between post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic growth. Stephen Joseph, author of What Doesn't Kill Us, writes, Post-traumatic growth does not mean that the survivor will be free of the memories of what has happened to them, the grief they experience, or other forms of distress, but that they live their lives more meaningfully in the light of what happened. Imagine that you accidentally knock a treasured vase off its perch, he continues. It smashes into tiny pieces. What do you do? Do you try to put the vase back together? Or do you pick up the beautiful colored pieces and use them to make something new, such as a colorful mosaic? When adversity strikes, people often feel that some part of them has been smashed. Their view of the world, their sense of themselves, their relationships. And those who try to put their lives back together exactly as they were remain fractured and vulnerable those who accept the breakage and build themselves anew become more resilient and open to new ways of being. We can learn to cultivate growth in ourselves, Stephen Joseph concludes, understanding the significance of our experiences in ways that construct meaning, establish hopefulness, and encourage us to view ourselves as survivors and thrivers. Jim Rendon adds, we bend, we break, we repair and rebuild, and often we grow, changing for the better in ways we would never have if we had not suffered. 
Dr. Rachel Naomi Raymond is the co-founder and medical director of the Commonweal Cancer Help Program in Bolinas, California. This is her story, well worth repeating. A man came into my practice with bone cancer. His leg was removed at the hip to save his life. He was 24 years old and he was very angry, very bitter. He felt a deep sense of injustice and a very deep hatred for all well people because his life seemed so unfair to him. I worked with him through his grief and rage and pain using imagery and art and deep psychotherapy. And after more than two years, there came a profound shift. He started to visit other people who had suffered severe physical losses. Once he visited a young woman about his age, it was a hot day in Palo Alto, and he was in running shorts so his artificial legs showed when he came into our hospital room. And this young woman was so depressed about the loss of both her breasts that she wouldn't even look at him. The nurses had left her radio playing, and desperate to get her attention, he unstrapped his leg and began dancing around the room on one foot, dancing and snapping his fingers to the music. She looked at him in amazement and then just burst out laughing. Man, she said, if you can dance, I can sing. When we sat down to review our work together, I opened his file and handed him several drawings. Oh, he said, look at this. And he showed me one of his earliest drawings. I had suggested that he draw a picture of his body. He had drawn a vase. And running through the vase was a deep crack. He had taken a black crayon and drawn the crack over and over again, grinding his teeth with rage. It was so, so painful because it seemed to him that this vase could never function as a vase again. It would never hold water. Oh, he said, this one isn't finished. I extended the box of crayons. Why don't you finish it? And he picked a yellow crayon, and he put his finger on the crack. And he said, you see here where it's broken? This is where the light comes through. And with the yellow crayon, he drew light streaming through the crack in his body. We can grow strong at the broken places. Beloved spiritual companions, here's to resiliency. Choose optimism, increase mental agility, cultivate self-awareness, don't catastrophize, focus on strengths, and deepen connections. Here's to post-traumatic growth. We bend, we break, we repair and rebuild, and often we grow, changing for the better in ways we never would have if we had not suffered. May we fall up, survivors and thrivers. The light streams through the crack. May we build ourselves anew. May we grow strong at the broken places. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, 
ASCBoston.org.